0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Growing Up 8 podcast. I'm your host, David Youngblood, and today's episode is entitled, Sitting Among Souvenirs. What's he doing? We asked one another as Mary's eldest child, Alex, raced as fast as his solid toddler body allowed across the sands to the beach line where the gentle gulf waters of late June lapped against the shores of Mustang Island. Clutched in his hands was the rubber shark he so coveted from the islander gift shop. Mary followed closer behind him, but not quickly enough to prevent him from pulling his arm back and flinging the shark into the waiting gulf with everything his four-year-old body could muster. Alex was and continues to be an excellent athlete, and even at age four, we knew we had little hope of recovering his treasure. The face he had as he turned to look at the group of us, who at this point had caught up with him on the beach, was one of both surprise and uncertainty he felt he had given his prize a chance to return to its roots. But at the same time, his face hinted at his hope that his shark buddy would choose to swim back to him. In many ways, what Alex was experiencing was what most of us had at one time or another regarding the magic of finding the perfect souvenir. As a young family, one of the much anticipated breaks to our routine was when dad would go on a business trip. Though his trips were certainly not often, or very long for that matter, they did change things within the household. Mom would take the opportunity to break from the routine regularity of the family meal cycle. This meant a great chance for us to get the much prized but infrequent TV dinner or pot pie. These culinary delights were a time saver for mom, but a gold mine for us. It allowed us to feel like real people, like the kinds of people we saw in the TV commercials. I mean, to be able to go to school, and know that when you got home dinner might be something as exotic as a salisbury steak meal or a chicken pot pie with a golden crust surrounding the entire creamy delight inside was a joy to buoy your spirits throughout the dullness of any school day but more than looking forward to these bonus dinners we looked forward to dad returning one thing both our parents understood about us was that special events should be celebrated a special event Could be anything from the birth of a new tribesman to a vacation to the return from a business trip with each of these breaks from the ordinary flow of life each of us could expect some sort of gift the gifts were small and innocuous for the most part but what made them special was that each of them had been specifically selected for the lucky recipient on a typical return we would be waiting by the front door to see it open and one or more of us would rush to grab his suitcase in a gesture to offer him help in carrying it since he must be tired from his long trip. After kissing mom and tossing most of our heads, he would sit down and open his pack, offering an exotically dressed doll for each of the girls or some sort of unique toy or relic distinct to the count country from where he had been. Perhaps his goal was educating us, but for each of us, the gift was just perfect, just what we had been hoping for, though secretly the thing we hoped for most, mom included, was the good worry-free night's sleep we would enjoy since we hadn't had one since he left. Vacation treasure was different. You had to go into the whole situation with a proper mindset. There's a certain vibe to picking the right souvenir that matches the whole ambiance and experience of your family's vacation. To be honest, there's quite a bit of junk sold in these stores, and to the unsuspecting souvenir hunter, it's easy to fall prey to the quick sale, those shiny objects that are put on display on the fronts of stores, meant to catch the suckers and the impatient. There's typically nothing to be found in these early entry bins that you couldn't find at home in a local Y. Delay the impulse and wait to peruse the back shelves and hidden corners, While we knew exactly where to look in the roadside souvenir stores to locate our dream of treasures, Mom did as well. Usually in the kitchen, near the several display racks that lined one of the kitchen walls, you would be able to find a set-aside drawer filled with tiny silver spoons. Each of these spoons marked a destination from the past, a destination along the various and numerous paths we took across the interstate, as well as state highways, to reach a variety of summer vacation spots. We went to tons of places, from Crystal Beach, Texas, and Desden, Florida, to the Smoky Mountains, to various spots up and down the East Coast, including Washington, D.C. and New York City. We even traveled to see the dunes of Wisconsin, the spoons marked every one of these spots, and even more. There were spoons from Chattanooga and Knoxville and Little Rock okay, and Williamsburg, the Alamo and the Petty Jean State Park, as well as the Poconos, where ice crystals formed on our coats as we splashed across a shallow river on a sibling hike. Something out of the ordinary and unexpected was sure to have happened to us at each of these driving destinations. Perhaps that was what attracted mom to collecting these infant-sized spoons. Their shine and consistency and shape was a perfect reminder of the brightness and energy of each of the numerous trips we made, but also of their sameness. The vacations were typically all cut from the same template. An overpacked station wagon, brakes at roadside scenic venues, I spy and other car games, groceries filled with Vienna sausages, bread, and snacks, along with a cooler to save money. Clothes packed tightly and without waste since laundry could always be done at the Holiday Inn or Howard Johnson's, and long, endless hours on the road, burning mile after mile of interstate and state highway for early morning to nearly sunset. The silver spoons were the treasure at the end of the rainbow, a marker as certain as any highway mileage post. The shape of the spoon was as consistent as the ingredients of the trip, but what changed was the inscription and the tiny silver-worked engraving marking the uniqueness of each place. Some of the more treasured destinations were set on a display rack somewhere along the kitchen wall, where we each could also take turns looking at the past though it's doubtful the faces we saw in the polished spoon bowls meant the same to us as they did to our mother. Invariably, the vacations were accompanied by endless walks through state and national parks, probably due in large part to the physical cramping that occurs after six hours of highway driving. These walks were a peaceful respite from the in-between tedium of getting from one place to the next. We were and still are, for the most part, a family of walkers. In fact, one of my favorite activities now is to take an early morning or evening walk with the dog. It's not a long walk by any stretch, but we have encountered a variety of wonderful discoveries which keeps us interested in making the daily constitutional on a regular schedule. Whether it's the rabbits who at times race across the narrow road out of sight, or the barn owl who hoots mysteriously in the nearby wood, or even the doe with her new fawn staring at us curiously from a distance, sizing us up as a threat or a friend, we walk in the hope of finding the peaceable kingdom so absent in most of the human commerce that otherwise fills my day. By and large, our family is much more composed of gatherers than hunters, and so we find great joy among the flora and fauna of our homes. So many of our vacations involved hiking and exploring. Perhaps our parents understood the need we all possessed to be active and out of doors. We much preferred setting our imaginations to work along a patch of trail, along a ridge, or some quickly running stream. Set us outside, and we were quite capable of making our own fun making amusement parks and indoor expeditions rare destinations for the family and nearly unnecessary. Our interest in nature extended to the various choices we would often make at the souvenir shop. No doubt each of us had his favorite souvenir, which connected us over the years to these trips. For the older boys, it was the rabbit pelts whose soft fur and distinct odor was a tactile certainty to keep us thinking about the Ozarks of northern Arkansas or the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Even as we did our homework and reached up to stroke the many-colored pelts now serving as the mats for our study lamps, the simple action of touch allowed us to escape, if only momentarily the drudgery of the routine work. For Catherine, there was a stuffed animal of a tiny replica of a black bear from a trip to the Smoky Mountains. She loved this reminder and carried the cuddle affectionately christened Smoky with her until, like so many of our souvenir items, Smoky disappeared, a likely casualty of the movers. Though I have no actual proof of this, The prevailing theory is that mom and dad knew something more than they were letting on about the fate of missing games, toys, articles of clothing, and other once prized possessions that mysteriously vanished, typically when we moved from one locale to another. The typical response when we grew frustrated by repeated searches coming up empty for a cardboard rock and gemstone sample sheet or plastic snow globe was that it was lost in the move or the movers must have packed it in a different box. While this might placate us for a small amount of time, as a group, we began to distrust movers. They became the equivalent to us of the Grinch, beings whose sole modus operandi was to remove joy from little children by taking their prized possessions. Still, there was something not quite right about mom's shrug and slight smile as she told us yet again that it must have been the movers. I think secretly we understood, or at least now as adults with children of our own and moves of our own, we understand that moves are opportunities for culling. How else would a family of eight children be able to fit comfortably into each new home without the new closets overflowing with memorabilia from the past? Despite Dad's many decades of long collection of the oil and gas journal, no one could ever accuse us or our parents of being hoarders. There must always be room for future collected stuff. Mark, the youngest, was perhaps the greatest collector among us. Truth be told, though, by the time he was old enough to remember the trips, we were making our last big move as a family from the cold Midwest West to the Gulf Coast. Since his memory was largely of the winter snows and sub-freezing temperatures of Illinois and all the activities that came with that, his small body was not quite ready for the tortuous humidity of Houston, Texas. Coming home from school one afternoon, mom recalls him falling to the floor with arms outstretched in a sacrificial position and saying, You're killing me, mom. You're killing me. Even at a young age, he was determined that his life was better spent with a jacket on rather than a tank top. This probably explains his later move to Alaska where he was built and has built a life around being out of doors and watching his breath escape in a fleeting misty cloud from the chill that comfortably surrounds him. Houston is tropical, and soon Mark would discover that the lush flora near and around our neighborhood was filled with the nature he would grow not only to study but to love. Bugs and lizards and tadpoles in particular fascinated his young mind, and he loved nothing more than gently turning over a leaf and lifting his found treasures to examine their form and shape and purpose. He was as curious a scientist as you might ever encounter. To enter his room was to enter an amateur zoo. He was simply fascinated and had found his true calling. He was destined to be a zoology major and later a science teacher. Like many of us, Mark could little resist the call of the wild, especially if a wooded area or creek was nearby. On one outing, Mark discovered a school of minnows in the still water near the bank. Their movement was fascinating, and not wanting to miss an opportunity to study something new, he had to collect a sample and bring it home. Unfortunately, there was nothing readily available, so he decided to return home to find something he could use. He soon found it in Catherine's room. On a shelf in her room, which she shared with Mary, Catherine placed some of her collected prizes, ribbons from the summer track program in Lockport, knickknacks received from her busy life, and a small hand-carved pair of wooden clogs, a souvenir from our vacation trip to the Wisconsin Dells. The clogs were too small to actually wear, but they were neatly lacquered and emblazoned with the logo of the Dells. For Mark, these were more often than a simple. Th- these were more than a simple souvenir; they were heaven sent, and just the perfect size to grip and scoop a sample of minnows and carry them back safely to his menagerie. What I know now is that it's not enough to merely look into the polished sil- silver hollow of the spoon or handle the found treasure from a roadside shop and remember the area and the place of the adventure. The object is not the memory. Instead, it is more necessary to look into that memory and see the faces of each person present and smiling in the sun or even maintaining the stoic grimace demanded by the posed picture before the roadside marker. The object reminds us to know in our souls the energy and the love that was alive in the hearts of those present, to re-experience the fullness of the moment. A souvenir is a conduit of the shared experience. It's where we can envision the best of ourselves. That experience is tattooed on the heart and permanent in a way that no token ever can be. Four-year-old Alex was right in letting his shark go with everything he had, because that was truly the only way any of us had to hang on to it.